0: Stooping NYC has legitimately become one of my favorite Instagram accounts to follow.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. I am mad that I don't live in New York and can't go get all of this stuff. So, listeners, if y'all don't know, it's an Instagram – I almost said Instagram site. It's an Instagram (laughs) profile, I guess. It's an Instagram.
0: An Instagram. um,
1: (laughs) Stooping NYC, and it's just – different pictures throughout the city of stuff that people like leave outside on their stoops, like furniture and art and things when they're moving, can't move it with them. And so it's just sitting out there. And oh my god, y'all.
0: It's amazing to see some of the things people get rid of, but I get it. When you're in that mentality of Got to move, got to get rid of it, don't have time. In New York, you move fast and you you literally just have no time to like try to sell furniture or anything and people are going to pick it up. So this account literally posts photos of stuff all over the city and where it's located and then sometimes they'll do like stooping success stories and show things that people have found and they'll show like the picture of it on the street and then the picture of it in this person's apartment and it's so cool and I'm so jealous.
1: I know, because you didn't... Ha- they didn't either have that or you didn't know about it when you lived in New York.
0: No, but also, I mean, to be fair, you have to be careful because a lot of the times when people are throwing away things, it's because it has bed bugs. So you have to know how to look for that. If you know, then you're good. Yeah.
1: I mean, I am definitely not above the whole, like, one person's trash is now my treasure kind of oh, thing. Oh,
0: same. I, I mean... mean-
1: I dumpster dove to get you that French beaster chair that I got you for your birthday.
0: Exactly. And that I was about to say, like, I'm not above going to dumpsters. Also, side note, one more social whatever, and I can't remember the name of it. I'll have to look it up. Someone message me if you're interested in knowing what account I'm talking about on TikTok, and I'll message you the name. But it's this woman who dumpster dives, but at, like, stores. And stores throw away so much many products like maybe it was the display maybe they just had too many of it legitimately she dumpster dives and it's not illegal like the worst that can happen is if they catch you they're like get out but um she sells it and it's mm. insane the amount of things that she finds but yeah it's pretty impressive so i'm not above dumpster diving you know again hey it's just another way of a uh, second hand purchasing except you're not purchasing it's second hand free
1: I mean, I do have a constant irrational fear that I'll be, like, I'll jump into a dumpster to get something, and then the trash truck will come, and I'll be, like, thrown (laughs) into the back and then crushed to death. So, you know, maybe keep that that. in mind. Yeah.
0: Um, um, Learn the trash pickup schedule. Also, know listen for big trucks <laughs>
1: i don't know i mean also there could be like broken glass or needles or well, other when, dumpster divers who are territorial in there
0: you know when you were saying like what you're afraid of what i immediately pictured is you saying and i pictured it too <laughs> that you were afraid of jumping jumping in and being stabbed by a lot of needles. And I'm like, well, don't go to the hospital, Dumpster. They're not going to have anything you need.
1: (laughs) You know, you never know, though. I could, you know, there's some aftermarket stuff I'm sure they throw out. Anyways, this is not a uh, dumpster diving podcast.
0: (laughs) No. What is it? (laughs) (laughs) This is Blood and Wine. I'm Brittany.
1: And I'm Tyler. And times are hard, y'all. Dumpster dive. Also, dumpster drive when times aren't hard, because, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. One man's trash is my, uh, you know, not having to expend the energy and cost of trying to make that. It's green.
0: It's just being green. It's just being green. Well, before we hop into our next episode of our, what did you call it last time? Like, Haunted October spook fest
1: Spooktacular. Our Spooktacular October... Halloween Fet. I don't remember what I said. I think I used the word spectacular.
0: Yeah, we should have thought of a name before we like started all of this. And
1: yeah, we're not good at doing that. We kind of <laughs> rush head first, and we're like,
0: we'll figure out a name later. I mean, it's it's honestly impressive we had a title to the podcast before we released it. Uh, n-
1: n- yes, that is true. <laughs> well, I'm gonna jump in and chat for a hot second about Patreon. If y'all haven't checked it out, you absolutely should. Our Patreon is where you can kind of join our community of supporters. You get to listen to all of our different Murder Mini episodes we have. Uh, We've decided we're going to start doing a quarterly, like, drink with us. Kind of. It was what our original Q&A was, but we were like, we want to do this so much more. And, like... I don't know, not in a formal Q&A setting, because we just want to like sit and chat and drink with y'all and also ask y'all questions. So yeah, we're going to be doing that quarterly. I think probably our next one, we've been talking about January, because that's Q1. Yeah,
0: we've been talking about (laughs) January, and Tyler can't not think in business terms, but there you go. (laughs)
1: So, uh, our Q1 Drink With Us uh, is coming up in January, and if you missed out on being able to come to our last one, uh, we recorded it, so it's there on Patreon. So, if you want to see, hey, what, what was this about? What didn't I get to learn? You can go in and watch it, and you can get to see how truly awkward Brittany and I are when I'm like, is it on? Is it recording? <laughs> okay, let's sit here and stare and until <laughs> people get on.
0: It's always that beginning part of the meeting where you're like, "Oh cool, when you're one of the first ones on, you're kind of like, oh fuck. I oh, got to make a I... small talk and even though it's like yeah. your coworkers and people you love, sometimes it's still like, "Man, I just wanted to like pop on, unmute myself to say, "Hey guys," and then mute myself again and not talk for the next hour."
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but when you're like running the meeting, you're like, is everyone here? Okay. I'll give a couple more minutes. Any stragglers to show up?
0: Can you see my screen? <laughs> can... Can... Okay, who,
1: whoever's talking, can you mute yourself, please? Thank yeah. you.
0: I'd, I'd appreciate it if everyone could please go on mute. There's some, <laughs> someone's not on mute. Oh, by the way, you guys, you can tell who's not on mute. So if you're like literally on any of them, like Teams, um, Webex, or even, what's the other one, Zoom, the, where, like where the sound is coming from, that person's box is going to be like, there's going to be a square around it, or there's going to be a little microphone next to their name. So you can legitimately know exactly who is making that noise. And so when you come on, and you're like, someone's making, can someone please go on mute?
1: Hey, I'm Patricia, not- I-, <laughs> I can I can see that you're not on mute and hear you. Patricia, I need you to stop. No, no, no. Patricia, I'm muting you. But I want everyone to know.
0: Um, don't do that. I'm just saying. Most of these calls, you probably shouldn't call people out like that. But it's just like an interesting thing to know in your head because you'll see patterns. Anyway.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm just saying in the other different like format softwares, I think like Zoom will do this. Like if you're on you know, the speaker view, and, you know, whoever makes noise, their camera will show up, and sometimes Tyler just needs to sneeze, but because that's the last sound anyone heard, I sneeze, and then I'm standing there, or, you know, sitting there at my computer, but (laughs) I'm the main screen for everyone now, because I sneezed, and we're all listening or looking at whatever, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, please don't have a giant close-up view on me
0: well that's what you get for not muting yourself
1: uh i mean true but that is not what our uh drink with us is like at all (laughs) no it's it's not (laughs) just chance to sit and drink with us and do all the things but if you want to join us for the next one if you want to uh, check out all the other awesome perks of being a patreon supporter then uh go go
0: check it out Yes, and we will not call you out if you're not on mute and someone else is talking, but we'll know. No, we
1: we would <laughs> you know, if you're not on mute, we like hearing you.
0: So, while you're at it, be sure you have subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts. I want to know from some of you listeners cuz we've had some questions. Are you all able to review us on other platforms other than Apple Podcasts? I know you're not possible it, you're not possible. I know it's not possible on <laughs> you're all possible. <laughs> I know it's not possible on everything, but out of curiosity, what ones can you rate us on? And if you can, hop on over and rate us. Cause I know not everyone has an iPhone. Not everyone is listening to us on Apple podcasts. There's like a hundred billion different podcast platforms out there, but be sure to subscribe. I've started talking about rating. That's later, but also subscribing. I don't know where you can do that, but if you can. Be sure to do it, and you'll be able to check out all of our new episodes on Tuesdays.
1: Ugh, Brittany, you're impossible. <laughs> I've been I'm... holding that in. <laughs> I've been holding that in.
0: I'm possible. Okay. <laughs>
1: you're impossible. What kind of insult is that? You're. I'm like. You know what? I am fucking impossible. I can do any damn thing that you can't even imagine yet.
0: I mean, I imagine it as someone that's like very difficult. You're impossible.
1: But it's like, add more. Impossible to work with, to communicate with. If someone's impossible, I'm like, damn, I kind of want to be impossible. To please. (laughs) I think it's inspiring. But uh, not impossible to please, no. Um, But anywho, let's chug-a-lug right on into our topic. Not chug-a-lug, that's not the sound trains make. It's the sound we're about to make when we get to wine. But our topic is uh it is week three of our halloween spooktacular october scary stories event i don't know words and names um and today we were like you know what what's literally like when you think of the most i guess stereotypical like scare thing maybe cliche is a better word yeah it's chainsaw murders y'all
0: i mean it's not cliche if it happens to you or someone you know, but when you think about <laughs> Halloween, I mean, it is something, yes. it like when you think of like those haunted houses, there's always the room with the motherfuckers and the chainsaws.
1: I do not fuck with haunted houses, y'all. I do not. I don't, it is not something that I would get joy from being scared in that way. Like adrenaline, sure. My ass loves roller coasters. I want to skydive one day. Not bungee jump, because I just can't imagine my spine breaking when the cord, you know, does its thing. But skydiving, yes. Um, roller coasters, absolutely. Haunted house? No. I don't, I don't want to sit there and be scared and like, raise my damn blood pressure and heart rate. (laughs) Like, that's, why would I, and I paid for that. Why would I
0: do that? No. I haven't been to a haunted house in a really, really long time, but I like it. I don't get it. It is totally the adrenaline, but it terrifies me and I hate it while I'm in there. But afterwards, I'm like, that was such a rush. (laughs) I don't know what that says about me. absolutely not. (laughs) But yeah, that's our topic. Uh,
1: Yeah, not haunted houses. Chainsaw murders.
0: Chainsaw murders. And if you have seen the classic Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you have seen the most horrifying film ever created i'm not talking about the newer one i am talking about the one from the 70s creepiest film to this day i swear it's creepier than exorcist it's creepier than psycho it's creepier than all of those
1: i have only of the three movies you just named seen the text chainsaw massacre and i hated it because it was terrifying but that's the thing older horror movies because they're not so like gory and in your face with the effects or all the stuff It's so much scarier because you know what's happening and you can maybe hear it, but you're not seeing it. And your imagination is always so much worse.
0: It is. There's the scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre when you see all the meat hooks. Yeah. Yeah. And you just know later when you hear screams, you're like, oh God, I know what's happening. And, you know, I will say, side note, movie fact, they actually used like real rotting corpses of like animals and stuff for that movie and so in that hot house in the texas heat and like the the actors at the end of every scene everyone would pretty much run out and vomit and so yeah knowing that the reality actually i mean because it wasn't real thank god but like they were around all of these things so that that alone is horrific
1: it is um but okay um, with that, thanks i m d b um with that, uh, let's get into wine also, uh, I guess just listeners, I'll forewarn you. I guess we're having a windstorm right now, so if y'all can hear that or if you know I see shit flying off people's balconies, I'll be sure to you know pop into my weather reporter voice
0: and letting you and I see my deck chair is going yep it it has landed in the pool. It is laying yeah, in is, the pool.
1: That is uh, $300 of damages that Wayfair will not take back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. But um, while I hunker down, um, uh, let's get wine. Let's get our wine started. What are you drinking today?
0: So even though it is Halloween month, I totally picked a wine that has nothing to do. I like hit it so well last week that this week I... Missed the mark, I guess you could say. But I picked a white wine. I haven't done one in what feels like a while. That could be a lie. I don't know. But I saw this bottle and I really, really wanted to try it.
1: Ooh, that's pretty. It's almost like a peacock mosaic look.
0: It's like one of those mandala things. Is that the right word? Mandala. Yeah. Yeah. This is the 2019 Adelina Bodegas Verdejo from Spain, and it was a find at Trader Joe's that was only 6 bucks. And if you're like me, maybe you haven't heard of Verdejo wines. They can be made in two distinctive styles. Most often, you're going to encounter Verdejo as a ready-to-drink, light, and crisp wine that has very herbaceous notes and fresh fruit flavors. That's what I have. I mean, it's a 2019, so it is one of those very ready-to-drink but you can also find versions of the Verdejo wine that has more oxygen added during fermentation, usually during oak aging. That's going to give you a very different flavor. And the, the wine that results from that is much more full-bodied and somewhat nutty with additional notes of almond and honey. So think more of like a Chardonnay. Mm. When we talk about wine bottles, we... Tyler and I have never talked about this specific point, but there are low-shouldered wine bottles and high-shouldered wine bottles. High-shouldered are the ones that, like, the top of your wine quickly goes into, like, the fat part of the wine. It's just like you've got a neck and then the rest of the bottle is pretty much the same shape. The low-shouldered bottles... Oh, like me. <laughs> Yeah, basically. I, sh- I should have... Uh, you're right, I should have said that. No, Tyler, stop. <laughs> talking about wine bottles. Um, The low-shouldered ones, these are ones that you see a lot of the times with, like, Chardonnays, where it's a gradual, like, getting wider at the bottom. So just think of that part of the wine as the shoulder. Oh, also like me! Hey, <laughs> okay, you're just wine bottle-shaped. There's nothing wrong with that. Drink up. <laughs> so, but... One of the things I was – the reason I'm noting the difference in the low and high shoulders, low-shouldered bottles typically indicate a wine with some type of oxidative winemaking, whereas that's, you know, introducing more oxygen in the fermentation process. Whereas the high-shouldered bottles indicate a leaner, fruitier style. So we can look at the difference in a Chardonnay bottle and a Sauvignon Blanc, and that's a perfect description. So like I said, this particular wine, the Adelina Bodega- Bodegas, it is a fresh fruit wine. So it's clean and bright with opening notes of green herbs, lime, fennel, and grass, with a very subtle hint of peach and lavender, which I'm like, ooh, tell me more. It's a bright straw. Tell stro- me more, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bright straw yellow. Don't have rights to that. And... um It has very balanced acidity and a refreshing aftertaste, which I'm like, (laughs) good, I'm glad it doesn't have a shit aftertaste. (laughs) It's a light and dry wine, and therefore, like a lot of light, dry, white wines, it pairs very well with seafood, salad, and light pastas, or whatever the fuck you want it to. Boom. (laughs) So, that's my wine. I am going to open it up. Oh. So I just slipped off the whole foil thing. It like completely came off, which was a whole hell of a lot easier than picking at it, so. Yeah. It looks like it has one of those like rubber corks going on, which Mm -hmm. again, you know, $6 bottle, which doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get one of these, but sometimes. There we go. Ooh, wow. Yeah. It's definitely got more of an herb on the nose.
1: You know who I feel really bad for? The people who can't appreciate uh, cilantro, or if you're English, coriander. Do
0: you know how long it was before I knew that? It's fine.
1: Yeah, I always thought coriander was a different thing. But also because in, in here, in the the States, coriander seeds are a spice that you can get, and it's called coriander. Yeah. cilantro seeds, but...
0: Oh, they are cilantro seeds? I mean, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But yeah, I, I remember talking to my British friends being like, oh, I did it a cilantro. And they're like, what the hell is that?
0: <laughs> I mean, it's like, like saying eggplant. They're like, what?
1: like, aubergine.
0: Aubergine is a much prettier word than eggplant. Like, literally, what's wrong with us? Okay, we don't need to go into that. <laughs> Too much. Tyler, I'm excited to try this wine. But I'm going to wait, because you need to tell us about your wine. What wine do you pick?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, more excited about my wine than I am yours. Look at this thing. This is the gayest thing I've ever seen in my life, and I love it. It is the Barefoot Bubbly Limited Edition Pride 2020 Brute Rosé. And first and foremost, I have to give a huge shout out and a huge thank you to Sarah Copus because she sent this bottle for us to drink for me to drink because i'm the gay one and uh yeah so we mentioned in june in our i think in our riots uh episode how barefoot has been supporting the lgbtq plus community since 1988 and they do like different pride bottles every year um they're doing this and like a wine spritzer in a can Ooh. this year and like a dollar of all of, like a dollar from each bottle, each purchase goes to a charity that I cannot think of the name of right now.
0: Also, that bottle is sparkly as fuck. I love it.
1: Oh, it's rainbow, it's glitter, it's everything. And I'm so glad that it's a Brute Rose because so many companies that do, like, oh, we're going to do a Pride wine or a Pride something, they're like, gay people? like sugar let's make this the sweetest thing imaginable and i'm like we do not we don't want that and so barefoot knows because also they've been doing this now for
0: 32 years
1: yeah 32 years um and so they're like no we're we're gonna serve up good shit so i'm excited this is a dry rosé it's brute And the description is bubbling with all the flavors of juicy red raspberries, sweet cherries, and pomegranate. Barefoot bubbly Brut Rosé positively sparkles on the palate. Finished with hints of nectarine, red apple, and zesty citrus, our versatile Brut Rosé pairs perfectly with everything from fresh fruit to terrific takeout.
0: Who's eating fresh fruit with their wine? Maybe in I, it. I don't know. Oh, like
1: strawberries floating in it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'd pick them out and just eat them. Yeah, no. Uh, but also, you might be wondering, the fuck does a gay pride bottle have to do with your Halloween? It uh, doesn't, but National Coming Out Day was just a few days ago as of when we we're recording this. And October is LGBTQ Plus History Month in the U.S., the U.K., and Australia, and I think some other countries, so... Hey, let's gay it up.
0: I think that's absolutely reason to celebrate. So open this wine. I want to look at it. And I'm really jealous I'm not getting to try this with you. This is now like two weeks in a row. You've been having bubbles, celebrating life, and I'm not getting to try it.
1: You can also go buy bubbles. Um, this one, you can find uh, bottles of it at like, I think Target has them. Um, uh, a lot of the different like Total Wine Big wine stores. You totally find it. It's in the bubbly section. And I think it's
0: like ten ten bucks or something like that.
1: I'm not sure. Again, Sarah sent it to us. I'm full on keeping this bottle. By oh. The way.
0: Absolutely. It's like one of the cutest bottles ever. You know there are like those rare bottles that you do keep? That's one of them.
1: Yeah. So, uh, here we go. Boop ba doop. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> You know, part of me was hoping it would start playing rain on me when I opened it, but that's fine.
0: But it didn't. They haven't... They're working on that technology, but it's not ready yet. It's a good pink color.
1: It is. Ooh. I almost get, like, like a tropical, like a coconut almost smell.
0: Oh, interesting. That is not what I expect.
1: No. Oh, I am so excited. Okay, it is bright pink. It is bubbling, Brittany. I think it is now time we cheers.
0: All right. Cheers. Cheers. Buck, that's good. That is tart. That is the back of the cheeks puckering in.
1: That is pomegranate. I don't
0: think I've ever had a wine
1: that the big flavor I get is pomegranate.
0: I don't think I have either. Tell tell me more about your wine.
1: Oh, my God. Not even that it's like, oh, it's the Gay Pride bottle, so I have to love it. Uh, because I'd read her to filth if it was gross. Um, this is probably one of the best rosé bubblies I've ever had. It is so fruity and very fruit pronounced, but it's not sweet. It's like, I don't know, when you're eating fresh raspberries or cherries or pomegranate, where it's much more flavorful and not really that sweet, as in, like, sugary, like, candy. Right. Oh, my God, this is so good. What what else am I supposed to be getting? Finishing with hints of nectarine, red apple, and zesty citrus? Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, I'm getting full-on pomegranate and red raspberry, and I am in love with this.
0: That sounds delicious, and... I need to go buy that bottle.
1: Yeah. It's definitely about as far away as you can get with still being a dry, sparkling rosé. About as far away from, like, a a French Provence rosé. But, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Tell me about yours. Sorry. I'm too busy thinking about me.
0: That's fair. That's normal. No, I'm just kidding. Mm. (laughs) I'm just joking. This one, it's really light and so... I feel like the finish is pretty quick and it is very much this bright straw yellow color. So it's, it's very light in color, very light in flavor. It's not too acidic. I'm very much getting those lemon and lime notes and maybe touches of the grass flavoring. It's, you know, like I said, very, it's a very light wine, light in color, but I'm not getting any of this peach and lavender, and maybe it comes out a little bit later. But the finish is just so quick that I'm not there. Maybe a tiny bit of lavender at the end. I don't really know what to look for in fennel because fennel is not a flavor I know enough. It's
1: um, it's the flavor that makes Italian sausage Italian. It's kind of licorice-y almost. Hmm. Like a the sister of star anise, anise, anise.
0: I never remember another one of those ones that I just can't learn. My brain is just like, i never know.
1: Good drag name. Star Anise.
0: This is a good wine. It's very light. So you probably wouldn't want to pair this with some heavy meal because then you would completely lose all of the flavors of the wine. You do need something lighter or frankly, just enjoy this alone. It's a good summertime wine. Honestly, not super. Just
1: enjoy it alone.
0: (laughs) So, anyway, this is a good wine. It, honestly, it met my expectations. It didn't exceed them. It did fine. I'd give it a C. I mean, it's a good wine. It's pretty average.
1: Hey, I got a C in math. It's a pass. I don't have to take math again.
0: I got a D in finance, and...
1: C's get degrees. Isn't that the saying? D's get degrees? I
0: don't Um, know. B's get degrees. All the above get degrees. (laughs) They do. Also, A's get degrees. Well, yeah. But fuck that. We're talking about D's here,
1: <laughs> and not the D's that I want to talk about. Anyways, whatever. We have our wine. Uh, we have our topic, and Brittany, let's like full on one eighty from this like <laughs> light and fun, happy conversation. Let's talk about chainsaw murders.
0: All right, I'm ready. Are you ready?
1: No, but no. I'm gonna. I'm going to uh, drink my wine. And listen to you uh, horrify me for the next hour or so.
0: The chainsaw murder case I'm bringing today is the murder of Terry Zinner. The sources I used, an article in The Oklahoman by Karen Grant. Oh, Oklahoma. It's actually not an Oklahoma case. It's in Kansas. But you can understand why Oklahoma was reporting it. You'll also understand why multiple places were reporting it. I mean, it had to do with the chainsaw. So yeah, fair an article in Lawrence Journal World by Heather Hollingsworth, an article in the Joplin Globe, an article in the Wichita Eagle by David Klepper, and an article on mental health RSA. Terry Zinner was 26 years old. She was a Kansas University graduate student working as a social worker for the Johnson County Mental Health Center. And on August 17th in 2004, Terry told her new husband of three months. She and Matt had just gotten married. You know, they're a young, newlywed, super happy couple. So she tells her husband, Matt, that she's got to make one quick social call to one of her clients, 17-year-old Andrew Elmaker, at his Overland Park home, which is a suburb in Kansas. And she says, I'm going to make this call really quick. I just want to make sure he's taking his meds and I'll be home. So her visit started out normally. Elmaker was on probation for marijuana possession, and their visit's going normal. He's signing the papers that Zinner brought. But at some point during the visit, Elmaker lured Zinner into his bedroom, and she was really reluctant to go. Like, why did he want her in there? Like, what, is the, what does this have to do with anything? Like, no, come on. So she she begged him to be released eventually when she realized she was being trapped in his room. But Elmaker had a weapon. And he later described this weapon to the police as the knifeiest looking knife. That tells me it's probably pretty fucking big.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking full on like either hunting knife that's the blade is like a foot long or like a dagger or some shit.
0: Something that you don't want like waving, being waved in your face. No. So for 30 minutes, Terry is in Elmaker's bedroom and she's trapped in there. She can't get out. And then... Elmaker's mom, Sue, returned home from the store and she heard Terry crying and she knew, like, she's like, oh my God, okay, Terry's in his bedroom. And she started threatening to call the police if her son didn't release Terry by the count of three. You know, the whole mom, like, one, two, three.
1: Oh my god! What? That's well, what does scary this,
0: It is because what this makes me think of is that this is not this type of like irrational behavior that's probably one the first time she's seen something like this. Maybe something that was this violent to this degree, but that she thought she could do the one, two, three Mhm,
1: well, and it's like it's something that I mean Terry she's a trained social worker, so she like it either knows what to do and what not to do to try to get control of the situation right. and have everything end peacefully and then there's this other variable with mom full-on thinking like she's helping and doing this but i am so scared that her threatening to call the police is going to be like a trigger that just escalates this
0: i don't know if it's necessarily a trigger but at the end of the count. Terry rushes downstairs with blood spurting from her neck from a wound that Elmaker had made by stabbing her three times. And Elmaker was chasing her. He was close behind. Sue sees what's going on and throws herself between her son and Terry and her son stabs her in the back multiple times. The knife actually got stuck in her back and it, it bent and this gave her a quick chance to actually flee. And so she ran over to the neighbor's house to call 911. And it's really scary to think about. But if that knife hadn't have gotten stuck in her back, like it bent and got stuck, she probably would have died. She wouldn't have been able to escape to go call 911.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And it Terry's still, like, in the house.
0: She is. So Sue has left. And it's now... Terry and Andrew, Andrew Elmaker. He drags her back into his bedroom, and he turns on some really loud music, and he grabs a chainsaw and starts cutting into her.
1: Oh my god. She's still alive.
0: After he was done, he started a fire after pouring gasoline around the house and on Terry's car, and then he fled on foot. So Terry succumbed to her wounds. All the wounds that she had suffered were numerous, and... She probably would have been decapitated had her hair not become entangled in the chainsaw's blade.
1: Oh my god. What the
0: fuck? Elmaker was arrested near his home. When he was, he had a pellet gun and another weapon. And without any type of prompt, he told the police officer who arrested him, I just killed my therapist with a chainsaw. This attack occurred after the second day of classes at Elmakers High School, where he had only recently gotten enough credits to become a sophomore. He had spent most of those two first days hiding in the bathroom. He was really unhappy that he was back in these mainstream classrooms with the general student body when previously he had been in special education classes. He was also suicidal. And he had taken sixty pills, which he started throwing up while he was inside and outside the patrol car after his arrest. The doctor who who examined him noted that his effect was flat, and then he was initially placed on suicide watch at the juvenile detention center after his arrest. He was then charged with first degree with the first degree murder of Terry Zinner.
1: I'm I'm sorry. I I don't know what to say. This. Oh my god, I cannot believe your case so far.
0: It's horrifying because, you know, her job was to help him, and that's exactly what she was trying to do, and he attacked her. Elmaker had actually been diagnosed with schizotypal, and that's a personality and mental disorder that's characterized by severe social anxiety, thought disorder, paranoid ideation, derealization, transient psychosis... And oftentimes, pretty unconventional beliefs. So, there is a lot going on in Andrew's head. Yeah. However, at his trial, his attorneys decided not to use his mental illness as a defense, which is really, yeah, is quite possibly one of the most flabbergasting things because we talked just last week about temporary insanity being used. Oftentimes when it's not truly the case, but being more of like a well, we're gonna call that temporary insanity. This is someone who's actually been diagnosed and like he's working with people and they're like, no, nah, we're we're not gonna use that in our defense.
1: Yeah, well, because as we've seen before, the use of the insanity defense, I mean, it really hinges upon was your break from reality, break from understanding. Contingent upon you not understanding that what you're doing is wrong, you not understanding that killing this person is wrong, and so i I don't know if even though he is diagnosed as schizotypal like if it would work like did he not realize this was wrong I mean to me that's. An obvious, like, argument you would go for, especially because of how he confessed to the cop being like, by the way, I did this, would, to me, very easily make me think, oh, he doesn't really realize what he's doing is
0: wrong. Exactly.
1: But then there's the counter argument that the prosecution could make of, well, he took all those pills and was suicidal and you know, was doing that because he did know it was wrong. I don't know. I don't know how it would have gone, but it's really surprising that they made no attempt to build that into their defense.
0: I know. Defense attorney Patrick Lewis, he did not dispute the fact that Elmaker killed Terry. Instead, he argued that Elmaker was not planning on killing his social worker and that she was already dead from a stab wound to her throat when he retrieved the chainsaw from his bedroom. So, he's literally arguing that the jury be allowed to consider the lesser charge of second-degree murder, which this does not require that the prosecution prove premeditation. Yeah. Um, But the thing is, I'm like, yeah, she was – that's the thing where, like, when you said earlier, like, she was still alive. Like, I I don't know. And I don't know if anyone really knows – she was dying from her stab wounds but had she already you know been deceased when he took the chainsaw to her i don't know
1: yeah i also to me that's a shitty defense because like trying to prove premeditation well he brought her up there and held her with a knife and then killed her with that knife like regardless if the thing that killed her was the knife or the chainsaw. I feel like that has no part in whether this is premeditated or not. And him luring her up there shows premeditation.
0: Well, and that's a good question. And there may be a legal answer for this, and I just don't know. But at what point is something considered premeditative and in the moment? You know, how far in advance do you have to plan something for it to be premeditated? And I bet there's not a solid line. Like... Well, no. I see that uh, I say that, and I can see it both ways. I can see there being a solid line, regardless, it's going to be argued, or the more likely is that it is so up to interpretation of the jury. What do they think is premeditated and not, and how is the argument that's, put together? That's
1: fair, and but I feel like part of like determining that it is that the murder itself is not premeditated you would have to prove that there was another thing that was premeditated, which is why he held her up there. You know, if he had uh, then called the police and she'd been a hostage because he wanted X, Y, and Z, okay. Or if, if there had been, I don't know, any other reason, but it sounds like literally the only reason him holding her up there was he wanted to, toy with her and then murder her i just i'm not understanding the lawyers his defense lawyers at all this i mean i'm not a lawyer so maybe this defense makes sense to someone who understands the legality and all of it but to me i'm like that's fucking dumb y'all
0: it doesn't make sense at all and the defense attorneys called no witnesses of their own And they said that Elmaker was incapable of planning the slaying. So they're not going to use his mental illness in his defense, but they're going to try to say he's incapable of making a plan. I do not understand. And I really struggled with understanding their approach. I I don't get it.
1: No, because it's like at the end of the day, the best outcome they can hope for is a second degree murder charge and maybe he just gets life in prison with parole or what instead of either the death penalty or life without parole whereas no it sounds very obvious that he should be in like a mental facility a hospital that can help him that maybe it's an indefinite stay but I feel like Going about this defense, is that option even still on the table?
0: So one of the things that his defense attorney said, he said, was this intentional? Yes. Was it premeditated? Absolutely not. And so jurors then heard a taped interview in which Elmaker admitted to a detective that he killed Terry and that he had no reason why, that he just did it. So at his trial, Sue, his mom, who he had attacked, she pleaded for mercy because of her son's mental illness. She said that her son struggled early with mental illness, and by the time he became an adolescent, his mental disorders overwhelmed him. She placed her son in institutions until her insurance benefits ran out, and then she had to let him live at home. This says a lot about our system that I know we could go on a long tangent about, because that's yeah, so messed up. You saw me up. take
1: a breath in.
0: It's so messed up because she was doing everything she could. And then when literally the money wasn't there, and that's so sick to me. The fact that someone could not get the help they need because their they or their family doesn't have the money. Yeah. It just, it, it makes
1: no sense because she's doing everything she can and she did everything Right. By what she could, she kept him in facilities that would be able to help him until that wasn't an option. And then even still at home, he has a social worker and a therapist. Like She set up the best network she can for him, but the system failed him. And also one other thought I had to what I was saying previously, where I was like, oh, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't understand... You know what, though? Neither's the jury. Right. That's kind of the point. So I feel like. Good point. That leads more credence to us not being able to understand why this is. Like, why his defense is going about this. Because it. Especially with what his mom is saying and all of the work she tried to do and the impact it had on his life and always has had on his life. That This is one of those cases where the insanity defense is a very much true and obvious and necessary.
0: So Matt Zinner, Terry's husband, he was furious. And he said at the hearing, I'm sick and tired of hearing about mental illness. Stand up and be a man. You sit there and stare at the floor. It's beyond my comprehension that you were able to do this. And so I want to read a quote from one of my articles because I think it does sum up this very well, because obviously my first reaction to that is like, oh, hell no, dude. But the thing is, as this article said, and this was the mental illness one, the mental illness RSA that I mentioned, as the husband of the victim, Matt Zinner is entitled to his feelings of loss, anger, and bereavement. The family of Terry Zinner deserves all of our compassion. However... As a society, we must overcome our prejudice that mental illness is both Im- incomprehensible and inexcusable. Otherwise, we could face even more tragedies like Terry Zinner's.
1: Yeah.
0: And when I read that, I I wanted to just quote that directly because I felt like that was a good way to just, like, take a pause on that moment of where you're like, <gasps> And it's like, okay, but you, you have to think of every side of this and that's not easy to do and it's like there can be more than one thing that's right and more than one thing that's wrong at the same time these things don't have to be mutually exclusive yeah what he said is highly inappropriate i completely disagree with it but in that moment we gotta know he's getting out his anger and that there's a bigger issue at hand than his opinion
1: yeah and i mean honestly i can 100 percent see where he's coming from because Regardless of what the other person involved was going through, his wife was murdered and murdered brutally and tortured. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, as someone who doesn't suffer from these mental illnesses, speaking of him, but I think even regardless, if he had his own illnesses that he had perspective on, that's this isn't something he can have that perspective on, other than this is someone who murdered my wife in one of the most horrible ways I can imagine. And I don't agree with his words or what he's saying, but no part of me can fault him for feeling that because of the loss that he is now having to cope with through this. But I mean, like you. Said, and like the article you quoted said, that can't be the reaction because that only leads to more stigmatization. And if him saying that convinces the jury that you're, they're like, you know what, fuck his mental illness and whatever he's gone through, he did this, and he just goes to the general prison population, that's only compounding. The horribleness that comes out of this case when it's so obvious, no, he needs to be in a mental facility. He needs help and does not need to be in the general prison population
0: for his own safety and the safety of those around him. So one thing to bring up, if Elmaker's attorneys aren't even using his mental illness in his defense, they're not even establishing that as reality, as a thing. To tell how they're presenting this to the jury, that's not part of it. And so Sue's bringing up that information, and the prosecution is bringing up this information. The defense is on the opposite side of that. And Matt, again, just wanting justice for his wife, that's another side of this I can see. I'm like, oh, if his own lawyers are not supporting this, then why do I have to believe this is even a thing? Like, his own lawyers aren't even saying that. So, and that's, I mean, it's, again, that's, that's a part of that prejudice. And I do not understand this defense because how are you going to defend someone who's so clearly mentally ill, who's actually diagnosed by a doctor when not everyone can be, he's diagnosed and you're going to just be like, well, he killed her, but he didn't plan it. That, that's your defense.
1: Well, and also every part of this case involves and hinges upon how severe his illness was because the only reason Terry was there is because she's a social worker and checking on him because of his illnesses he's suffering and... I mean, ev- well, every part no, of this. Well,
0: no, no, not, I mean, not necessarily. Oh, no, because
1: he was on probation.
0: He was on probation for possession of marijuana. So she's not there because of his mental illness, as far as I know. She's there. I, f-
1: I forgot. Because
0: of something he he had done and why he was on probation.
1: Okay, that, but, okay.
0: But she was there to check and see that he was taking his medication.
1: It, well, okay, then. Exactly. I mean, it's... So she's she's, aware.
0: She's very aware of the situation.
1: Yeah. I just... I'm, again, not understanding why basically it kind of sounds like the prosecution is more playing the defense than his defense team is.
0: Right. Because at the end of the day, we're looking at victims on both sides in this one. Yeah. So a couple of facts that I do want to bring up... More than 70% of the youth in the juvenile justice system suffer from at least one mental health disorder, and this is according to the National Center for Mental Health and Juvenile Justice. For girls though, that number is even higher. 80% of girls in juvenile justice suffer mental illness. 80%. And for all offenders, mm-hmm. disruptive disorders are the most common, followed by substance abuse disorders, anxiety disorders, and mood disorders so when when we look at juveniles who get into bad situations and who get into trouble there's a lot more to this than they're just the bad kid a lot of the times it's some level of mental illness and mental illness like i was saying like the spectrum of disorders there's a lot there's a lot of reasons why people do the things they do not everyone but a lot of people.
1: Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, the mental illness is so exacerbated by not only being young, going through puberty, going through the the body and brain changes. Dude, I know. We've
0: talked about it. Being a kid is fucking hard.
1: Yeah. But also, being in the juvie system and being in these juvenile detention systems, like the amount of Sexual assault and rape that goes on in the systems. The amount of abuse and attacks that happen. like It would not surprise me if even if you do go into a juvenile center without any mental illnesses that you're struggling with. I don't understand how you could come out with none.
0: Without something.
1: Because it's horrifying. It's a horrifying thing that these kids go through. And I don't think, I mean, I don't want to blanket that across the board because I'm sure there are different systems across the country, across the world that do things differently, do things better. But it's a horrible thing. And putting children in it, and I I don't know what kind of solutions because it's like, well, if a 14-year-old just straight up murders their parents, it's like, well... I mean, yeah, you can't be like, Ugh,
0: slap on the kids. Rest. I know.
1: <laughs> All right, go back to high school. But you know, it's it's definitely a system that needs fixed and overhauled. And it does not surprise me how many kids are there be- because of their untreated or uncontrolled mental illnesses are suffering. But it's the same for the general prison population. I mean, we've talked multiple times about how the closure of mental health facilities in the United States and the uh, decreasing of funding for mental health has basically just pumped all of these people who need help straight into the prison population. So it doesn't surprise me that that's also reflected for the juveniles.
0: Well, and that's a good point because, like, what's worse? Juvie? Or the general prison population. Because a lot of the times, older teens are sent to juvie because it's not going to be as bad as the general prison population. But how true is that? And, you know, what is this measurement of bad? But like I mentioned a moment ago, we're looking at victims on both sides of this. Because Elmaker was convicted to life in prison with no possibility of parole for 50 years, which was the harshest punishment available for his case. Prosecutors could not seek a harsher sentence because Elmaker was 17 when he killed Terry. And in Kansas, Mm -hmm. juveniles are not eligible for the death penalty or life in prison with no chance of parole. So it's literally like, because he was 17, he couldn't get the death penalty or no parole. But instead, they're like, oh, you can't have parole for 50 years. And that's literally like... And we know that sometimes that does get accelerated, but it's literally saying, like, you don't have the chance for parole until you're 70, because his trial happened, like, three years after this case. So he was also convicted of aggravated battery for the injuries to his mother, Sue, when she was trying to protect Terry. Six years after Terry Zinner was brutally murdered by her teenage client, in 2010, Kansas Governor Mark Parkinson signed into law legislation requiring safety training for every new social worker. Matt pushed for this legislation in the years after Terry's death in hopes of preventing any future deaths of social workers. And this is a point that needs to be made like across the globe. Social workers do need to be protected. So this new law requires new social workers to take at least six hours of personal safety training as a part of the 40 hours of continuing education required for all first-time license holders or license renewals. So most social workers will get the training soon after graduating with a social work degree. Now, however you want to look at this as far as how is this a response to the situation I don't necessarily know that this is the best response. I do know someone getting self-defense training is never a bad idea. It's a good thing to know. But why are we addressing this and not the people who need help? So it's – I have a lot of mixed feelings on this one. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I also don't think this is the only thing that needs to be done by any means. No, and –
1: I mean, I think the the new training, the new self-defense training for social workers, I'm like, yeah, totally. I can see where it's coming from, especially because as social workers, part of your training is de-escalation and understanding how to gain control of a situation in a way that is not going to escalate everything. So I'm like, yes, right, absolutely. Self-defense training, you know, being built into that. Yeah. But where is the funding for more mental health hospitals and programs? Where is the funding for programs that would have meant that his mom does not have to pull him out of facilities and just, you know, have him at home with his meds? I know. Where's that? Because until you're working to address the core issues and the overarching issues and being preemptive, making sure that situations like this don't ever arise because you've taken steps 10 steps ahead. And made sure that people who need help are getting help so that they're not at disadvantaged situations where, well, they don't have that help with their doctors and therapists because they're at home. Well, they don't have X and Y, so now the social worker is there and can be attacked. Like, where is the support in the beginning? I feel yeah. like that is what's needed.
0: There's a lot of things that are needed. And this was a really difficult case because I have a lot of emotions for both sides of it. And I generally lead mm-hmm. lean like towards one side or the other. And it, in yeah. this one, I truly am just like, Terry was a victim. Andrew was also a victim. He was a victim of the system. Yeah. Well,
1: and I think overarchingly, Terry was a victim of the system because- of how yeah. much it failed, Andrew, and like, does he have responsibility for this? Absolutely, right. He needs to be in a facility. I mean, it's it's not something that you know. Oh, he takes a couple group therapy sessions; he's good to go. Like, no, absolutely not. But I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a mental health doctor. I don't know the kind of help he needs same but i know he needs help and it is not being in prison
0: i agree so that is my case that is the murder of terry zinner shit so tyler what's your horrific chainsaw murder that you picked for this episode
1: so my case is the murder of tracy newt the sources i used an article from the la times by edwin chen another article from the LA Times by Stephanie Chavez, uh, a blog called Deranged LA Crimes, and then an article written by Thony Hevron on her website, com. So Tracy Newt, he was an 18-year-old man from Kansas City, Missouri. He'd spent a lot of his youth in juvenile homes, and the homes he was placed in, yeah, yeah, are... Why? Already.
0: why the connections yeah always the connections but how do we do it
1: who knows but the homes he was placed in they often they didn't work out and like a lot of unhappy kids at this time who had dreams of something better he wanted to head to hollywood he was like i'm 18 now i'm out on my own I want to make a name for myself. I want to be someone that I wasn't able to be in this Midwest atmosphere. He wanted to go to Hollywood. He wanted to be an actor. But like a lot of other teenage kids at the time and now and in the past and always who, I'm going to go to Hollywood. I'm going to be someone. It's not a getting there and being met with success. Right. He was met with drug dealers, pimps, not agents in movies. And he never had the chance to become this actor and star that he dreamed of being. Because by spring of 1987, he was working as a sex worker to make ends meet, to be able to afford a place to live. And by the summer, he was dead.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So on Tuesday, August 25th of 1987, the head and torso of a male, probably in his late teens, with a punk rock style haircut, they were found by a rancher in Madera County. These body parts, they were found off like a rural highway about 20 miles north of Fresno. The young man had a gunshot wound to the head and he'd been dead for about two days. And from the marks that were on the bones and the way his flesh was torn, the killer had used a chainsaw to dismember
0: the body. I was about to say, I don't know how someone could dispose of a body this way. And I still don't. I still don't know how someone could do that. I don't know how someone could do most of the things we talk about. But when you add in the fact that this person used a chainsaw, I'm like, oh, it's clearly because they didn't fucking care about this person's no. body. Like there was no, there was no care about what they were doing and how they were desecrating this body.
1: No, there's no sanctity, no respect for the person at all.
0: Zero. They're not even really looked at as human. It's sick.
1: It's disgusting. Then, just two days later, on Thursday, August twenty seventh, more body parts were found. They were wrapped in a bedsheet, and they were near the Golden State Freeway in Valencia.
0: How far away is that from the first location?
1: So, it's about three a three hour drive. So Fresno's, yeah, Fresno's about halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco. I think it's a little closer to San Francisco. And Valencia's in the LA metro.
0: Okay. That's a big distance for him to be disposed of.
1: Yeah. And the mutilations to these body parts also looked like they were made with a chainsaw. So the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department said that the way that these bodily remains were hacked... It looks like it's the work of the same person, but in either set of remains, there was no driver's license. There was no way of identifying the identity of who this person was. And at this point, investigators aren't even sure that these body parts all belong to one person or if they're looking at multiple victims. Yeah. So, sheriffs, investigators, they started working the case, but there's not a lot to go on. Until the LAPD got a phone call regarding a bloody chainsaw.
0: Like he never cleaned it off.
1: Yeah. So a store that part of their thing, they rent out different tools, including chainsaws. Oh, God. Yeah, they called the police because they had rented a chainsaw out to this guy about a week before And a day later, it had been returned to them. Well, an employee, like, you know, I guess is not paying a ton of attention. I don't know. But, like, it's like, ah, thanks to the chainsaw. Bye, sir. And, like, puts it on a workbench because, you know, it's a tool. It's a chainsaw. They have to clean it after each, you know, person uses it. Well, a couple days later, he's like, oh, I guess I better clean that. And he looks at it, and it is covered in blood and pieces of flesh. And so he's like, oh, my fucking God, and calls the police. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Brittany has given me looks, y'all. She is saying what the fuck with her
0: face. Okay, but here's the thing. I did think of one thing. I'm sure the chainsaw was in some type of case when it was turned in, so maybe his mistake wasn't literally being ignorant and accepting the chainsaw with his eyes closed. Maybe it was in a case, and he just didn't open it to make sure it was okay. And then two days you later, know, he opens it up, and he's like, "Oh shit!"
1: That's that's a fair point. I hadn't thought about that. Yes, that would make a lot more sense because I, otherwise, I'm like, are, "How are do you just <laughs> accepting it?" eyes closed like what
0: you're like you grab it and you're getting like a little bit of blood on your hands You just like wipe it on your apron you're like oh it's just grease it's not no it had to have been in a case there's no way but also who who would return something after murdering someone and not clean it off like i mean i'm not trying to give tips to this fucker but that's dumb uh
1: uh, yeah for real (laughs)
0: this falls into stupid killers
1: Yeah, but so police go to the store, they talk to the manager, the employee, they take the chainsaw, and it would lead them to a very surprising killer. Not someone you would think would, I mean, murder, for one, but also make these kind of mistakes. So the manager showed the police officers who were there uh, a rental slip because it was rented. They literally know who who took it who brought it back like they have the person's like name and phone number and all that shit dumb and it was a max b frank uh who and he lived in west hollywood so the police call max and they're like so did you rent a chainsaw and why is there blood on it and what the fuck and he's like yeah i did rent the chainsaw and i used it to cut up a dead dog
0: okay that's a sick excuse, because it's like, sir, that's still fucked up.
1: Yeah. And this all comes from uh, Thonny Hevron or Thony Hevron because she was a police officer. Like, she was working the dispatch, and so she was first person on this. And she was the one who, like, called Max and everything. And so she said, like, okay whose dog was it? And he's like, I don't know. She's like, okay.
0: Okay. I chopped up a dog. Number one, that's real fucked up. Number two, don't know whose it was. Okay. Well, that's extra fucked up.
1: Yeah. So she's like, what the fuck happened? How did the dog die? So he's like, well, I was driving in Beverly Hills and I hit this dog and killed it. And I I wanted to get rid of it. You know, it's, Dog's too big to throw in the trash, so, you know, obviously I have to rent a chainsaw to cut up the dog. And so, Tony is like, oh my god, what the fuck? I mean, I'm imagining, I've never seen the show, but you know the gif from Veep where Julia Louise Dreyfus, I don't know who her character's name is, is like, what
0: the fuck? That's me right now.
1: That's all of us. That's all of us. That's you, me, Donnie, our listeners. We're all like, what the fuck? Um, so yeah, he says that he hit a dog in Beverly Hills and knew he needed to cut the dog up. And so she asks him, she's like, Where's the dog now? And he's like, Oh, I buried it off the five north of LA. So Valencia is north of LA. I mean, Fresno is too, but like three hours north. Like no. And then she's like, "Okay, question: Why did you cut up someone else's dog?"
0: I think something we're
1: all wondering.
0: Very, very good question. Yeah,
1: and he just then started getting vague. So I guess she puts him on hold. Oh,
0: this is when he gets vague. Got it. This is when he gets oh, vague. God.
1: Um, so she puts him on hold for a sec to talk to uh, another detective, and she's telling him, she's like, this guy's story is fucking crazy, even for Hollywood. Like, because that was the thing that was brought up a couple times. It is like, there's a lot of crazy shit happening, but it's Hollywood, so
0: that, I guess that doesn't the justify cutting it. up
1: of a dog is not as crazy. as we- No, I think it is. Um But when she, you know, got back to Max, uh, he'd hung up on her. On the, you know, the police. So the labs, they have the chainsaw now. The labs test it and the blood is human. The flesh is human. So no, it's not a dog. And so the police were like, all right, that's all we need. We're doing a search warrant.
0: Yes,
1: And we're going to Max's house. So now who the fuck is Max?
0: That's what I'm wondering. Who's this Max character?
1: So, Max Bernard Frank, or Frank, F R A N C, Frank, Francophile. No, he's 50 years old, and he's a tenured professor of public administration at Cal State Fresno.
0: He's a professor?
1: Yep, at California State University in Fresno.
0: I thought he was someone who was like addicted to meth and living in, you know, I don't know. not, like, the best part of Hollywood or something.
1: Well, I mean, it's West Hollywood, so... As a gay, it's the best part of Hollywood, obviously. But, um, yeah. No. Also, for those of y'all that don't know, West Hollywood is, like, gay central. Outside, it's... Well, I was about to say it's the Castro District of Los Angeles. Do y'all know what that means? No. Probably not. <laughs>
0: i don't know what that means so
1: so castro is the neighborhood in san francisco that is like the epicenter of gay culture in the united states
0: nice it's
1: the gayborhood but castro is like real gay west hollywood is real gay what's it in new york like greenwich village or seattle it's capitol hill austin it's a one block section of fourth street with three bars but oh it's austin it's so gay friendly It's not. Um, But, yeah, speaking of uh, gay and everything, I'm going to get more of my pride wine before I go into everything else.
0: I think that's fair.
1: Okay, I'm back. So, Max Frank, he's a tenured professor at Cal State Fresno. He is a Wisconsin native. He's unmarried, which, as we talked about in our last episode, means gay. Um, He... (laughs) Not everyone who's unmarried is gay, but I feel like in any historical article, which this is the 80s, and that counts as history at this point, when they say unmarried, it means gay. But he'd been a part of the Frenzo, Frenzo, Fresno, yep, (laughs) he'd been a part of the Fresno faculty teaching at Cal State Fresno since 1969, so almost 20 years at this point.
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah. So police, they got their search warrant. They get to his house and I didn't see how they were able to confirm, but they were able to confirm that someone was cut up with a chainsaw in his bathtub.
0: You know, it was probably luminol and scratches on the marble or the ceramic or, I mean, chainsaws, that shit does damage. Who the fuck has
1: a marble tub? I don't
0: know. I said the wrong thing. They're generally ceramic or like porcelain, right? Not porcelain. That would break.
1: Fiberglass? I think porcelain tubs are a thing, but I think fiberglass is... Yeah. Well, the point I'm... uh, Probably. The
0: point I'm making is that I'm sure there are some gouges, and they can study that and know that it was by a chainsaw.
1: Yeah. But they found that someone was cut up with a chainsaw in his bathtub. And also, again, at this point, arms and legs have been found off the five near Magic Mountain, Valencia, And then the head and torso being found near Fresno, which he lives in West Hollywood, teaches in Fresno. I think he also has a house in Fresno. But like, it's like, okay, you dispose of the body parts here in LA and in Fresno, you have connection to both areas.
0: Oh my gosh, I hadn't made that connection yet. I'm glad you said that. I know that's probably so obvious to some of our listeners, but it just clicked for me.
1: It just clicked for me too, which is why I said it. But I've also had almost a full bottle of wine. So have you. Anyways, Max is arrested and he's charged with murder. Again, they still have not been able to identify the body. But while they're at his house, con- the police are conducting search warrant. They found, quote unquote, one of the largest collections of pornographic homosexual films ever seen. And I always forget, like, this is the 80s.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: People used to own porn. Who does that?
0: I mean, it's all on the internet now.
1: And it's free.
0: I mean, you have to pay for some of it, I'm like, but you don't have to.
1: I mean, yeah, but I just, I'm like, oh my god, what, did you have, like, movie shops worth of porn? Like, what the fuck?
0: That's what I was gonna say, like, what- constitutes like a lot of porn is it 10 videos is it 50 are these vhs they are because it's the 80s are they eight track when was that I anything?
1: Mean, it's the i think eight tracks music
0: oh it is sorry i was wrong
1: what's the what's the other one that tried to beat um not vh1 vhs <laughs> <laughs> dynamax no that's a made-up word
0: you got me i don't know
1: betamax Betamax.
0: Dude, nobody knows about what you're talking about. I,
1: I am sure some of our listeners are like,
0: bitch!
1: I don't know. Betamax, I think. But whatever. I don't know if he had Betamax. I don't know if it was VHS. But once they found this giant collection of gay porn, they were able to start making, like, what, it, what is linking this quiet college professor with this young teen punk rocker guy
0: please don't tell me the only thing that's connecting them is the fact that they're gay yeah that's it
1: it's the 80s well they're able to start being like oh max is living this double life this victim was probably a gay sex worker
0: he's living a double life because society can't accept reality
1: yeah i know also i'm like dude you're unmarried and you live in West Hollywood. We like, know. Everyone knows. I mean, th- but this is also the late '80s where st- someone who's studious is another way of saying gay. Like,
0: you know what's man. really interesting, and this very much applies to today, like 2020. You think about a lot of really famous people who were gay back in the day, like back to the 20s or even earlier. And everyone knew, but like they were a famous person. So it was like, it was whatever, you know, they're just doing their thing. But anyone who was just your normal average person had to hide that like Mm -hmm. it was the plague.
1: Well, I mean, even famous people had to it, it could be obvious that they were flamboyant, but they could never say that they were gay. Think of
0: oh no, Paul that's, Lind. No, that's so true. Actually, you have a good point. Everyone knew, but it was never said. But it was common yeah. knowledge.
1: Oh, yeah. I think, and I might get all of these names wrong, except for James Deans. I know he was part of it. But I think, like, Eartha Kitt had a deal with... James Dean and Robert Redford.
0: James Dean was mm. gay.
1: Uh, he was bi. Oh, because the three of them had this deal of like who's going to hook up with who first, and they all fucked. Everyone fucked. But that's like the fifties or something. I again, I cannot confirm <laughs> Robert Redford is involved or Eartha Kit. It's something like that.
0: Anyway, the the point I was making is it's just I hate the stigma so much Mm -hmm.
1: oh we'll get in more into that don't worry
0: i figured i mean i can tell where this is going yeah apparently this is our episode where we deal with mental illness and um sexuality and that's not what was planned but it's totally where it's going and you know what i hate it but i love it because it's real and we should be having these conversations
1: yeah fun fact uh being gay was a like official listed mental illness until I want to say the early 80s. Yeah,
0: you just did the thing where you used fun in an inappropriate situation, just like you just bashed me for in the last episode. So I'm totally calling you out for it because that's not fun.
1: No, it's not. But what is fun is I think in Sweden, um, a lot of members of the LGBTQ community held basically like a work protest where they called out sick from work because they were gay.
0: Oh my God, because it was They're an like, illness. I love uh, it.
1: It's a mental <laughs> they illness. They were like, yeah. sorry,
0: I'm sick. <laughs> I like the dick and I'm a boy.
1: Like, <laughs> I can't come in. I'm gay. I, I can't. And HR is like, I mean, we're HR, so we are too. Um, But Queen. So Max is held... In captivity is what I was gonna say, I guess technically, but the police are holding him and interviewing him.
0: It's not really... Interrogating
1: him. It's not really captivity. Kept- interview.
0: It's more so like jail.
1: He's at the LA Zoo. No. But he's being interrogated. God. It's called Monsters. Um, Halloween! But anyway, he's being interrogated by the sheriffs and... He says that this victim who was at this point very clearly like killed and dismembered at Max's apartment, he's like, yo, it was this other male sex worker, Terry Adams, who killed him. And it was all in self-defense, I guess, at my apartment. And the cause of death on this still unidentified victim uh, was a gunshot wound to the head. And Max is saying that Terry and this victim, they argued over a debt, and he described Terry as this white guy who was in his 30s, about 5'10, about 160. He had shoulder length blonde hair. Which I mean, I maybe it's me, maybe because I've never had to describe someone to the police, but I feel like whenever people are described and it's a specific weight like this, I'm like, okay, but then you know them. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just shitty at guessing people's weight. I would not do well at like a (laughs) carnival or amusement park where like, that's your thing.
0: I mean, no, I, that's me too. Because literally, literally, if someone was like, how many people are in this room? I'd be like, I don't know, there could be 100. There could also be 500. And I don't think I could tell you the difference.
1: Well, there could be 100 people in the room, and only one of them needs to believe in you. But we're not talking about A Star Is Born. We're talking about murder. No. So Max is describing this gay sex worker who murdered this still unidentified victim, and detectives are like, "Yeah, um, this Terry you're describing, he's about as real as that dog you described earlier. You know, the one you cut up with the chainsaw. Like, mm, made up. Mm, I don't think he's real. So while Max is in jail being interrogated, like, trying to spin this tale, investigators are finally able to identify the victim, and it's 18-year-old Tracy Newt from Kansas City. So, Tracy is identified as the victim, and the DA's office is going forward with this case against Max, and the motive that the prosecutors are offering is, quote-unquote, homosexual rage. No, the motive, please
0: don't tell me this is another gay panic.
1: It's not it's different, oh sort of they so they're saying that he murdered Tracy in this homosexual rage, and they cited like how depraved the murder was, and they were seeking the death penalty and their their version of this homosexual rage is that. Maybe Tracy was blackmailing him or something, but the idea of being outed or of other people finding out that he's gay sent Max into such a rage that he murdered Tracy and also, in murdering him, is psychologically like murdering that piece of himself, which is why it's so depraved. And I get it, but also, let's be real, they're calling it homosexual rage. I'm going to call it a solid mix of toxic masculinity, internalized homophobia, and, you know, murder.
0: I 100% agree.
1: But yeah, when I first read it and that they're, when they were saying like, oh, yeah, prosecution's saying homosexual rage, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Is it another gay panic defense? No. But it's still, um. Horrible. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> So, Max, at trial, he's still saying he is not Tracy's killer, and again, this murder was by this other sex worker, Terry Adams. And according to Max, Terry even lived with him for a little bit in Fresno, at his house in Fresno, again, his house in Fresno and in West Hollywood, but you're scared of other people knowing you're gay. Like, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If my single professor was like, yeah, I have a condo in West Hollywood. I spent the summer in Palm Springs and Provincetown like you gay. We all know. None of us care. Just please teach us public administration or whatever the fuck you're teaching. But the sheriffs, they were like, okay, we'll look for Terry. Never found any sign of it.
0: Yeah, because Terry's not real. They knew it. No. And also, one thing
1: that uh, the blog pointed out that I was like, oh, shit, is Max is this guy who is living this full-on double life, i.e., house in Fresno, but secret apartment in West Hollywood, the, like, full-on Hannah Montana double life going on, and he's willing to have his, like, gay lover move in with him in Fresno? Like, really? No. I don't think so.
0: No. Dude, you didn't. And... The thing is, he seems like the type of person that feels like he can just spin a story and people are just going to give him benefit of the doubt. And that's not true. Like, people are like, No. no, dude, we fucking see right through you. We see what you're trying to spin. And honestly, you're not very good at it because you're pretty transparent. And we know the story because, oh, yeah. That's her job. I mean, it seems like he thinks because he's an intellectual and I'm totally just like projecting. But it's like he seems to think that he can just get away with anything and be a reputable source to whoever he's speaking to. And the reality is it's like, no, people see through this shit you're spinning.
1: Oh, a 100%. So he has a public defender, his lawyer, Mark Kaiserman. Kaiserman? Probably Kaiserman. Probably Kaiserman. Like the role. Yeah. Um, he admits he's like, yes, Max is a voyeur. He he suffers from poor judgment, and I'm like,
0: poor judgment, murder with a chainsaw. Is, I'm just saying,
1: yeah, poor judgment. But is so my definition of voyeur? Maybe it's the millennial twenty twenty definition. But it's like you like to watch people. But
0: that's what I thought too.
1: I'm like. Okay, what does that have to do with any of this? But I guess his lawyer's like, y'all, he's a voyeur with poor judgment. And also in the giant collection of porn they found at Max's house, there's also a lot of uh, explicit photos. And among these photos are photos of Tracy. So it's like, okay, y'all knew each other. In these hundreds and hundreds of photos we ha- he has, there's none of this Terry, this alleged lover who used to live with him in Fresno. But all of Tracy. Zero photos of Terry. There's quite a few of Tracy. I mean, there's a bunch of different guys' photos, but none of this Terry guy.
0: This is major Dahmer vibes. God, it's creepy.
1: Yeah. Um, also, his attorney, like the defense argument is... Um, quote-unquote, a unique defense that they based on Max's ineptitude. His lawyer argued that Max was too nerdy and too much of a klutz to be able to wield a gun, let alone a chainsaw.
0: Sir, your brain does not affect your muscular structure and your strength, so dumb argument.
1: I mean, how many news stories have you heard about the three-year-old who accidentally, like, got into their parents' gun cabinet and shot someone? Like, um, it, too too nerdy and a klutz. If you are too nerdy and klutz to shoot someone, how... Can you open a door?
0: No, that's too hard. I mean... You can only go through automatic.
1: But also... Now the argument is like he's too much of a klutz and like weak and wimpy and shit to have a chainsaw, but his earlier argument is like, oh, I cut up a dog with a chainsaw.
0: You know that's like, a good honey, point.
1: where's the truth?
0: This is driving me crazy because I feel like we're ignoring the victim. Like everyone in this story,
1: hundred oh, percent, they're
0: ignoring the victim, and they're trying to either justify or place blame. But it's not in, like, a lens of because he took a life viciously.
1: No, it it becomes all about his secret Hannah Montana double life. The fact that, like, ooh, he's a secret gay. And it's like, there is an 18-year-old man who left a, a dark past and home in the Midwest and wanted to be someone, had goals was going through some hard shit, but still trying to be someone, be that person, who had his entire future and goals cut short by this guy who fucking murdered him. So, he was found guilty of Tracy's murder because the prosecution said, okay, you're gonna say he's too nerdy and too much of a klutz? Well... His fear of exposure, I mean, how much effort he'd put into creating this double life and this fear he'd built around being exposed for being a gay man. Uh, if that's the motive, that easily explains how he's able to overcome his quote unquote nerdiness and commit this horrible murder. Yeah. So the jury accepted the prosecution's case and characterized Max as a man overcome by homosexual rage. I full-on rejected the defense saying, like, the defense of him being too wimpy to commit this.
0: No, that's because it's total bullshit.
1: Yeah. So at his sentencing hearing, Max's sister, Carol Waiters, she's a psychiatric social worker from Philadelphia. She made a statement to the court that was a plea for leniency on her brother's behalf. And she asked the judge to consider the whole person, not just this part of his personality that drove him to murder.
0: No, are you talking about the homosexuality? Because that is so fucked up.
1: Yeah. No. No, I mean, I no absolutely not. Consider the whole person. Okay, we'll consider the whole person who murdered an eighteen-year-old man. This. That's that's part of it.
0: Well, and like you mentioned, sorry, bitch, like you mentioned earlier. With homosexuality being considered a mental illness, that seems to be the, the avenue she's taking. And it's like, no, 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 no. That That's who he is. And then he did this. Yeah. It's not justification. He did it. No. And the thing is,
1: I mean, yes, it is important to also account for the societal stigma around being gay and how, yeah, his his fear of being outed and stuff against his will is valid for the time but it's not a reason or an excuse it's just like okay cool you still murdered someone so on July 28th of 1988 the judge sentenced Max from 25 years to life with the possibility of parole in 17 years
0: My guy got way way worse than that, and he was a kid.
1: Well, mine's also California, and yours was Kansas.
0: That is a good point.
1: But Max didn't live long enough to become eligible for parole. He died of a heart attack in Cochrane State Prison on September 18th of 1997. Just nine years in prison. But... That is my case. That is the murder of Tracy Newt. Also, one thing I do want to say, how many sources, how many things I saw that would characterize this entire case as like, oh, the Chainsaw Professor, the Professor Murder. And I'm like, can we fucking say Tracy's name?
0: You know, you actually just read my mind because I was about to make a comment of how much... The investigation and everything was focused on the killer and not on the victim yeah it was more of like a manhunt to find him where it felt like the whole reason behind why they should be finding him was gone and it was replaced with oh we found these body parts and this professor's living a double life and we need to expose him and he did a bad thing but we're not ever focusing on he murdered someone in such a yeah. horrific way
1: yeah and i think you know i i don't know how much of this is the narrative of the news stories or what the police department actually did at the times because i feel like in a you know you could take a lot of the big points of this case translate it to a different one And a huge part of the story is how much has gone into trying to identify this victim who has no ID on them, who just, they're trying to identify this teenage man with a punk rock haircut and that becoming the main focal point of the case. But none of my sources, that was a piece of it. So I don't know if that's just... The way it was told, because it's the late 80s and homophobia is a thing now and was a thing then, dear fucking lord. So it's like, oh, it's gay? A gay thing? Now it is the topic. That is the headline. Secret gay professor murders gay sex lover gay. Hashtag gay. Or if the police full on had this, like, we're trying to identify him, like, and that... Did have... I don't know. Right. I really don't know. But pretty much everything was just—it was about. Oh, he's this like nerdy professor who turns out to be a murderer and gay. And I'm real fucking tired of that shit. So I don't care if he's a professor. I don't give a shit about Max because this is the this is Tracy's murder. It is. This is about his life.
0: Yes. Cheese. Well. This was another horrific edition of our spooktacular, and that word sounds too positive right now. This is another rendition of our really crazy, scary October episodes.
1: Horror. Horror fest 2020.
0: Yes. It's horror. But yeah. if you enjoy this episode, if <laughs> enjoy it does not feel like the right word, No, these were some
1: fucked up cases.
0: If this episode spoke to you, if you had a lot of feelings about this episode, and you'd like us to continue to bring you things that are important, and we're bringing forth a lot of issues that are so real in the past and today, go ahead and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you're listening to, if there's the ability to review Let us know what you think. We get notifications of these. We read them. It's really important to us to hear your responses. What are you thinking? What are your questions? What do you want to know? So just go ahead and rate and review.
1: Yes. Our favorite thing ever is hearing from y'all. Hearing what y'all think, y'all's opinions. and That is what makes all of this worth it. Hearing the impact that we have on y'all. So... Also, make sure to like and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check us out. uh, Do all the things. And with that, this is Blood and Wine signing off.
0: XOXO. Bye, you guys.
1: Bye.